Anyway, uh, have, have you ever felt like a stranger in your own home? Uh, or even worse yet, maybe a prisoner? <laughs> all you with kids, all you with kids, you can just say amen right there and just, that, that's it. Um, this past week, well, last week, Ro and I preached together, my wife and I preached together, and we, 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 we briefly shared how we moved last week, right? We moved from um, a house actually out toward Wimberley in San Marcos um, to a house that literally is only 10 minutes away from here, which I am very stoked about. I'm very happy about the fact that it was a 10-minute drive this morning for me to church. That's exciting. Um, and that's the main thing that I'm excited about when it comes to the house that we moved to. Uh, because this house is on 14 acres, um, which everybody in Texas seems to be excited about that, except me. 14 acres means it takes five minutes for me to get, like, from when I get in my car to when I get on the road. Because I got three gates that I have to undo and get out and open and close and then go back and start and stop and keep horses out and all this kind of thing. I'm more of a city um, person, so I'm not much of a country person. My wife is totally country, horses, land. She just loves it. And so that's why we're living on 14 acres. Um, the house, however, is kind of, um, I don't know, a bit of a dump. It's not, um, it, well, like when we bought the land, we primarily paid for the land. We even, we even told the, you know, the, the, the seller that you know, the house isn't worth that much. And he agreed. It was built in the 70s. It's kind of been run down. It's got a lot of issues. One of the key issues that I really wanted to get taken care of pretty quickly is the fact that um, the, the previous owner had allowed bees, like honeybees, with stingers in them, to live in his walls, like, for over a year. Now, I don't know if you know much about sheetrock and honey. The two don't mix very well. And um, bees living in the walls and me don't mix very well. So as a part of our, our contract, we said, you know, before we move into the house, you need to have these bees removed. The thing is, the, the, the previous owner, very nice person, um, kind of an, enviro an environmentalist, didn't want to kill the bees. And I understand that. We, we, we have a bit of a shortage right now, and uh, our planet needs honeybees. So I'm all for save the planet, save the bees. You know, hey, that's great. But get them out of my house, you know. <laughs> I'm all so practical. Um, so we, so we did. He finally found somebody to extract the bees, and they they removed. They had to take out three sheets of drywall, uh, sheetrock, just to remove the honeycomb and the bees and the hive and uh, the queen and all that stuff. And there was tens of thousands of bees. They said it was like the largest hive they had ever seen. And so they relocated the bees, which is great. Um, and they sort of patched up the drywall, kind of. Um, and there's still a few holes here and there. And it's an old house, so there's holes everywhere. Um, well. There's a lot of bees that didn't catch the bus. And so they came back because their pheromones are saying, like, that's where home is. So they're still coming in the cracks of the house where they were able to get in before, and they're still swarming. And we would have about 30 bees a day all last week, just kind of, you know, just, you know hanging out. And um, so I kind of kept the raid, like, on my hip, you know, like an old Western. I just kept raiding, just bam, bam, bam. I was just shooting bees all the time. About 30 a day. And, and, and then Madden, our daughter, got stung like twice on the foot because she stepped on them. Because Anyway, so yeah, yeah, exactly. At that point, I'm like, all right, no more Mr. Nice Guy. You're starting to sting my kids, right? You're going down, you know? I'm taking you down. It's over. 
No more raid, one at a time thing. We're going to try to figure out like an atomic weapon to, to do. And so I talked to a friend of mine, and he said, here's this stuff that you get, and you go out at night, because they tend to sleep at night, so they're kind of all in, their, in, their, in, in the wall sleeping. And so you, you, you pour this stuff on the access point, and, and they, they eat it, and then they, they die, and it gets on them, and they die. And Anyway, they die is the main point. And um, I said, well, that's great. So I went out about 11 o'clock at night. We're getting ready to go to bed, and I'm, I'm putting the stuff out there, and I come in. And about 10 minutes later, I go out in the living room, and there's like a few bees like buzzing around, crazily buzzing, like, you know, like they're, they, they got some stuff on them, so they're kind of going crazy. And there's, a bzz, 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 and there's like three or four in the living room, which is kind of odd. I don't normally see that many at a time. And so I went back in the bedroom, came back out, getting ready to go to bed about five minutes later, and there's more like 20 bees buzzing around in the living room, like, and you can hear them like in the wall. And they're just, you know, they're just going berserk in the living room. And I'm thinking, well, this isn't looking too good. They found a hole into the house again. And um, so within a matter of 15 minutes, we had probably about 180 to 100 crazy honeybees buzzing around. We had a couple lights on. They're swarming the lights. They're just, they're like, they're like if you walk out there, like, they're like landing on you. You have to swat them off. So now I'm concerned. So I'm calling hotels in Buda. I'm like, how, where can we stay the night? But, but Rose's really tired, and she's, I'm more of a late night person, but she's already like off to never, never land at this point. So I wake her up, and I'm like, we got to do something, because I don't want to wake up with like bees all over my face and down my throat, and you know, I die because of this infestation of honeybees. And so we go over to the kids' room. We grab the kids, and we run back to the living room. We're like, you know, swatting bees off of us. We take them all into our room. We barricade ourselves in our room. We make a bed for them on the floor with this other mattress thing. And we're stuffing pillows and holes in the wall so they don't get in, you know. And I'm taking my T-shirt, laying it on the bottom of the door, you know. Like, everything is blocked off. And then, you know, we lay there, and you can hear, like, like in the living room, you know. And I'm laying there thinking, like, this has to go down on the list of reasons why I hate living in the country. Because <laughs> you don't get stuff like this in the city. And, um, but then I got thinking, you know, man, it's amazing how this guy, this former guy, just lived with these bees for a whole, over a year that we know of. And, it's, and, it's, and, I, and, I, and I really got thinking how funny it is that sometimes when you live with something for a really long time, then it's really hard to get it out of your house or get it out of your life or come on somebody or get it out of your mind. It's sometimes a little bit difficult. And we're paying the price for the former owners just, you know, I just live with the bees. And oh, that's craziness. We are not meant to live with bees. Um, so we're kind of paying the price that evening. And we woke up the next day and walked out there and like everywhere you could see on the floor and the counter and the table and the couch, just half alive bees were like, just laying all over the place. Yeah, so we swept them up, took up a whole trash can. It's, it was it was interesting. So um, people ask me how I'm liking my new house, and I say it's beautiful. It's just <laughs> lovely. Huh. That's cheesy, um, but it works. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, but I, I, th I think it's a good introduction to what I'm going to talk to you about today. Number one, because anytime I can complain about living in the country, I'm going to do it. And get some sympathy from you all. That makes me feel better, like you feel my pain. And, um, but number two, because honestly, um, the story of Much Afraid starts off very similar to, to that scenario. She um, has been in the care of, of the shepherd for some time. So she would be what we would consider a Christian. Her name is Much Afraid, which, by the way, is very um, descriptive of her, of her person. She's very much afraid. 
Um, and she, she, she's been working for the great shepherd, who is a type of Jesus. And she's been in the employment of the king. He lives up on the mountain. That's the great shepherd's father. Okay, that's a type of God. For some time. But she's been living in the valley, the valley of humiliation. And she's constantly surrounded, kind of like we're, I was surrounded by bees. She's constantly surrounded by her relatives, the fearings, also very descriptive of their, of their nature, of their character. Um, there was her aunt, um, dark foreboding, and um, her cousins, craven fear, and uh, her other cousin, let's see, uh, self-pity was another cousin. There was a couple other cousins. And anyway, they, 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 they always seem to pop up in her life. Like she can't go to the grocery store. She can't go anywhere without running into them. And they don't like the fact that she is serving the shepherd. They don't like the shepherd. They don't like the king. And so they try to get her back on their side like all the time. And they, uh, the book starts off with this new scheme that they have that she's going to marry her cousin, Craven Fear. Um, since Roe is not up here, we won't use this time to talk about other states where in this might be normal. Um, we'll just, we just skip right over that because Roe already covered that last week. Um, we don't marry cousins in Texas, so that's all good. But um, in, 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 in Much Afraid's book, her, her family says, you're going to marry our cousin and uh, Craven Fear, and that's going to sort of pull you away from the shepherd for good. And that's the plan. And she's, she's very tore up about this. That's the first chapter. The second chapter is where she, she has a conversation um, with the shepherd. She meets with the shepherd um, at the place where she was used to meeting with him. Re- remember, Much Afraid is kind of the picture of, of a Christian. So she has these, these times of conversations with the shepherd, these times of prayer. Which, by the way, that really is what we're going to define prayer as. Prayer is a conversation with the shepherd of your soul, Jesus that's what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation. Um, prayer is not a, a laundry list of needs. <laughs> prayer is not uh, complaining. Prayer is conversation with the shepherd. And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the various ways that that conversation can evolve. And, and today, we're going to start where the book starts, with her talking to the shepherd. And what she is primarily talking to him about is her, her, her sorrow over the fact that her her fearing relatives are going to make her marry craven fear. And she's talking to him about this. And I think this is very important. And to me, this, this gives me my first point, that first of all, prayer is personal. So if you, are, if you are taking notes, prayer is personal. By the way, there's an extra note in your bulletin. There should be an extra note in your worship guide that, um, that is going to be covered later. So you just set that aside. There's some fill in the blanks. And it's, it's to make sure that I stick to my preaching time, and I have time at the end to go through that with you, okay? Um, but right now, the fir- my, my first um, thing that I take away from the story is that prayer is personal. Prayer is a uh, conversation with the shepherd about you or about me. When I go to the shepherd, when I go to Jesus, the first thing that I talk to him about is me. Well, come on, somebody. Prayer ought to be about you. Prayer, if you, if you spend your whole time just praying for other people, then the real power of prayer, the real transformational power of prayer, you never receive that. Uh, there was one lady that I was counseling there for a little bit a few years ago, and she had a lot of conflict with her neighbors. And um, there were a lot, like the neighbors were very um, upset at her, and they would apparently do things, I don't know, like steal her trash bin or something. It's real childish stuff. And then she would shout over, like, over the yard, I'm praying for you! 
Because you need Jesus. A whole lot of Jesus. You ain't got any Jesus. You got, I'm praying for you. You're on my prayer list. I'm sharing you with the whole church. I all need to pray for you. And I was like, I was like, how do they respond to that? She says, well, they're usually pretty mad. <laughs> I think it's because I'm getting persecuted. Uh, maybe not. Maybe, hmm. maybe prayer is not a weapon. <laughs> Maybe I'm praying for you. It's not, I mean, sometimes it's like, you know what? You need prayer. You know, let's just, let's just hold hands. Let's go to the great shepherd and talk to him about me, about us, about, about my heart. And this is exactly what David said. I have a scripture here in Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24. David says, he says this. He says, search me, O God. Right? It's not like, well, my in-laws, they really need prayer. My spouse really needs prayer. Man, all these people, golly, the whole world's falling apart. I read this thing on Facebook. They definitely need prayer. No, it's not about that. David says, search me. This is his prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Get into my head. And look, look at this. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. See if I'm doing anything that's hurting others. See if I'm doing anything that's hurting myself. Come and just, just, just tell me about me. That's what, that's what prayer starts off as. Prayer, oftentimes we think that the basics of prayer is, is asking God for stuff. That's actually the, 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 the uh, advanced level of prayer. Like when you start asking God for stuff and then when you start praying for others, that's called intercession. That's also advanced. The first step is figuring out, God, tell me about me. And if you never get to this part, you're going to ask for stuff, and you're not going to get it because you're not asking <laughs> the right stuff. You're going to pray for other people. It's not going to happen because you're not praying with the right heart. You've got to start with you. And he says, see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in your way. Lead me in your truth. And this is what Much Afraid says. She, she comes to the shepherd and she says, look, I got, I got, I, I, I got these relatives and I, I, I don't know what to do with them. I'm living, I'm like a prisoner in my own home, right? Everywhere I go, my fears are confronting me. I can't seem to escape from my fears. Constantly around me, constantly reminding me of who I was and who I used to be and really the family that I am actually a part of because she was related to all the fears. And just like Much Afraid was related to her fears, you and I are related to fears. And I don't mean the folks, like, sitting next to you. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Stop looking over there. It's not your in-laws or outlaws or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. You're, 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 you're born fearful. You're born fearful. You're born with fears inside of you. That's what scripture says, that I was conceived in sin and, 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 and I'm conceived. Like that's before I was even born. I started off with something inside of me that was against God, this fear of closeness with God. And this fear, it grows throughout your childhood. It grows throughout your, 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 your adolescence, your teenage years. And, and by the time we get to be adults, we're, we're, we have so many different relatives of fears and fearful thoughts that keep on plaguing us. They, even when we come to God, they stick around. And what I want to talk to you about today is, 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 is how do you move forward from that? How do you get away from those fears? Well, what Much Afraid did is she was talking to the shepherd, and she looked up at the hills, and she said, oh, I wish I could live up there. Like, she's just talking to him, and she just, she blurts out, oh, I wish I 
wish I could live on the mountains with the king, because that's where the king's uh, kingdom is. I wish I could live up there, because that's where the shepherd, the great shepherd, that's where he, he goes and hangs out, and then he comes down and visits with me. But he lives up there. I wish I could live up there. And the shepherd says, I've been waiting for you to say that for a long time. <laughs> and I love that part in the book. Because there are things that God has for you that he wants for you, but he will not suggest them to you. He waits for you to suggest them to him. And the way that we come to suggest those things or desire those things is through prayer. Prayer changes our desires from desires for earthly things to desires for heavenly things. We can, we can in prayer, we can develop a desire to go higher, to go to another level. And that's what I pray for each and every one of you. I pray that something stirs up inside of you that says, I want to go to a higher level. There's, a, there's an old hymn uh, that I don't even know who the author is, but it says, uh, it said, we're going to put it up on the screen, but it, it says this, and I thought it's just beautiful, and this to me is, is exactly what's happening here at City Chapel. It says, return, O wanderer, now return, and seek thy father's face, those new desires which in thee burn were kindled by his grace. I've seen that happen so many times here at City Chapel in the past almost six months. We were one week away from a six-month anniversary. And, uh, man, so many folks are returning to the shepherd of their souls, and they're getting new desires. And it's not because they, they, they decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do this, or I'm going to do that, or I'm going it's to... Not, it's, not, it's something that God's grace kindles inside of you. And this happens when you meet with God in prayer on a daily basis basis. And, 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 if, and for much of us, we have lived in the valley. We've lived in the valley of humiliation or the valley of, of, of failure. Because Much Afraid has a few problems, and she tells this to the shepherd. Her first problem is that her feet are lame. Um, not entirely lame, just, just slightly lame. And she walks with a limp, and it's hard for her. She often stumbles. Her second problem is that her face is her, her cheeks or her lips are crooked. Anyway, she feels like she's ugly. She has low self-esteem. That's her, that's her second problem. The third problem that is that she has a heart that does not have the seed of love growing in it. She desires love. She desires to be loved, but she doesn't necessarily de desire to love others. And so the shepherd talks to her about these three problems that she has, which is, which is what I mean by when I say, go to God and say, search me and know me and try me and figure out what's wrong with me. The shepherd talks to her about those problems, and he gives her the answer. And the answer by the way, the answer is not that she just has to put up with it and just live in the valley forever until she dies, and then the shepherd will magically pick her up out of the valley and drop her off in the kingdom of love. That's not the answer. But for many of us, that's kind of how we've lived. We've believed, we've, we've swallowed the lie of the enemy that we have to kind of constantly fail and constantly get back up and then fail and then constantly live with all these fears and constantly live in the valley of humiliation and failure until we die. And then when we die, somehow, magically, God's going to like lift us up and put us in this wonderful, beautiful place, and it's just going to be amazing. And the problem with that is that even though we would never say it, what we are really saying when we believe that, when we live that way, what we're really saying is that death can do for us something that Jesus cannot do. What we're saying is that in the future, death is going to be able to do something for me that Jesus can't do right now in the present. We would never say that. We would never say that death is more powerful than Jesus. We would never say that, but that's really what we live like. That Jesus can't do anything with my lame feet. I'm going to have to keep stumbling. Jesus can't do anything with my low self-esteem. I'm just going to have to keep feeling ugly. 
Jesus can't do anything with my heart. I'm going to have to just keep, you know, this is just what I am. But when I die, all these things are going to, whoop, just go away. And I'm going to, whoo, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. But what the shepherd says to much afraid, he says, no, no, no. If you follow me to the high places, I will make your feet like deer's feet, which is where the, the name of the book comes from, hinds feet on high places, deer's feet. I'll make your feet like deer's feet. It's taken from a scripture. I'll make your feet like deer's feet. In other words, you'll be able to not only walk on your problems, you'll be able to jump on them and leap on them and hop around and just kind of have fun with it. And the thing about the mountains is when you get up to the mountains, the fearing relatives, they can't climb up there. And so you escape the fears. So let me just plant a thought in your mind. Maybe, just maybe, it's possible that in this life, right here and right now, you can get away from all of your fears. Maybe, just maybe, perfect love actually casts out all fear, which is what Scripture says. Maybe Jesus can do for you what you've been sort of waiting on death to do for you. I'd love it if we all just got just a passion inside of us that said, you know what, I don't want to live down in the valley anymore. I don't want to stick around and around my fears. I don't want to keep failing and uh, all this stuff. I mean, it's not, well, you know, I, 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 I wonder if we could just put enough faith in Jesus that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we could ask or think according to the power that's at work inside of us, the kind of power that can change our heart, the kind of power that can change our face, and the kind of power that can change our feet. Would anybody believe that with me just over this season? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right, then. Let's do it. Let's, let's, go, let's go ahead and climb. And so the second part about prayer is that, is that prayer is, is private. Prayer is personal and prayer is private. It's private. And um, this, is, this is where, this is where um, I don't know if you guys are Jars of Clay fans, any 90s kids around here, but Jars of Clay is like the best Christian band ever. Um, except for Delirious. Delirious holds that one. But Jars of Clay is right underneath. And um, they're probably better musicians, actually, Jars of Clay is. But anyway, we could argue about that all day. Uh, but they came out with the album, I don't know, way back, um, called Much Afraid. The album was called Much Afraid. And all the songs were based on this book. One, one of the songs, probably my favorite song, was one called Tea and Sympathy. Because there's a part in the book where, where Much Afraid, she has a conversation with the shepherd, and she's really fired up about going to the high places. And then she goes back home, and her, her fearing relatives come in again, and like, you can't do that. You'll never be able to blah, blah, blah. And they, they start lying to her. She gets so down and depressed. And then there's this other Christian lady named Valiant. Like, she's Courage. And Courage comes in and, and comforts Much Afraid. And she sits there and listens to all of her stories. She gives her a lot of sympathy. And there's a song uh, that Jars of Clay did called Tea and Sympathy. And the main line was, don't trade our love for tea and sympathy. Because what happens is, Much Afraid sits there in the cottage, lit, you know, sharing, pouring out her heart with a sympath to a sympathetic ear. And meanwhile, the shepherd is walking by, calling for her to go with him to the high places. And this is why I want to I emphasize the fact that prayer is private. Because oftentimes, when we feel fear, what we do is we go looking for a sympathetic ear. We go looking for sort of a, somebody else who can listen to us and understand what we're going through. And that's helpful. That's great. But it's not the power of prayer. Often we trade the, the power of love and the power that comes from conversations with the shepherd. We trade that for tea and sympathy. 
We trade that for a post on Facebook where everybody tells us how sorry they are for us. And, oh, it must be really tough. Thoughts going out to you, blah, blah, blah. And we, we, we trade private, personal power for public understanding. And we stay in the valley. Like she stayed in the cottage. And then she realized, she goes to sleep. She realized, oh, my goodness, I was supposed to go with the shepherd. And she has to go chase down the shepherd. But prayer is private. And many times, I think that's one of the reasons why prayer is kind of neglected, because it's not public. Prayer is private. Um, there's, a, there's, there's another passage in the, uh, in the Much Afraid story in chapter 4, where he's explaining this, and we're going to put this up on the screen for you, but uh, this is just directly from the book. He, he's talking to Much Afraid. He says, I must tell you, much, much Afraid, I must tell you this great truth, which only a few will understand, that all of the fairest beauties in the human soul its greatest victories, its most splendid achievements are always those which no one else knows anything about or can only dimly guess at. Every inner response of the human heart to love and every conquest over self-love is a new flower on the tree of love. He's talking about the, the secret place, the private place. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, uh, Jesus is telling about prayer. He says, this is what you should do. When you pray, go into your inner room and close the door and pray to your Father, look at this, who is in secret. Did you know your Father is in secret? That's why when you trade his love for tea and sympathy. That's why you don't have the power of his love because he's not in the public. He's not in the broadcasted. He's not in the announced. He's in the secret. Your father who is in secret and who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So this is a practical tip in prayer. You need to find a private place. Like uh, for every day, even if you only spend five minutes of prayer, you need to find a place that has a door. I usually use the bathroom because <laughs> it's pretty private. And ever since I was little, come on, somebody, he uses the bathroom too. <laughs> you don't know nothing about the bathroom. You got diapers. Um, no, I, I typically use it because it's private. Ever since I was a kid, I would go into the bathroom, close the door, and just get on the floor and pray. And for me, prayer, is, it's got to, you got to have this private moment with God. And it's amazing what comes out of that private moment. Everybody wants what comes out of it. Everybody wants the public power, but nobody wants the private process. We want the public product. We want the, we want the doors opened up. We want, we want the new job. We want, we want all of this stuff answered. We want all this stuff done, but, but, but it's, it's not very sexy to say, all right, go in the bathroom, close the door, and pray. <laughs> it's just not that sexy. Like At some point, though, someone needs to help you and tell you that that is the secret to a victorious Christian life. It's not listening to every, every radio preacher out there or every podcast or every sermon. It, the secret is not listening to the Hillsong all day, every day. The secret is private prayer where it's you and the shepherd. That's where you get the power. God, the stuff God has, I mean, this church was birthed out of private prayer. I was sitting in my office with the door closed, praying and fasting. And God spoke to me and said, um, when are you going to plant a church? <laughs> and I was like, um, I don't know. <laughs> and God just began dealing with me in private prayer. The stuff that God tells you in private prayer, it, it, it starts it's like a seed. It starts there and then it blossoms into the, this public thing. But it all starts in the private place. 
go into the private place, go into a place where you can close the door. This is actually pretty rare in those days to actually have a room that had a door on it. Most of the, the rooms didn't have doors. So he's saying, go, you know, find a room, which they would usually have one where they kept like valuables. So go into that place where, where, where you know no one's going to break in and disturb. Go into that place where it's not about anybody watching you or listening to you or seeing what's happening. That's, that's the other thing about privacy. There's no like commendation for stuff you do in private. You know, like as you start changing and getting closer to God and breaking off habits and things like that, there's a lot of pats on the back. You know, oh, I'm so proud of you going to church, so proud of you doing this, that's great. But private prayers, I mean, it's private, so nobody knows you're doing it. So there's no pats on the back. There's no handshakes and high fives. There's none of that. It's just your father. He sees and he knows. There's a passage uh, in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 19, it's an amazing passage. Uh, Elijah is a great prophet of God. He's used to hearing from God all the time. God speaks to him. And God tells him this. He says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. In other words, I'm getting ready to speak to you, Elijah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be amazing. So the Lord told him, and, and Elijah stood, stood out there, and the Lord passed by, passed by him. And when he did that, there was a mighty windstorm that hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose from the side of the mountain. Scripture says, but the Lord was not in the wind. That's pretty awesome. A wind so strong that rocks are, are peeling off the side of this mountain. And Elijah's standing out there, you know. But God wasn't in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. The ground starts shaking. Remember, he's standing on the side of a mountain. He's holding on for dear life, and the ground's shaking, and, and stuff's toppling over. Scripture says, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. What in the world? Just out, just out of the blue. Fire comes down from heaven. <laughs> and the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper.
Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. This is the, the final part of your notes there. I'd just like to give you something to help you this week. I wanted to give you something practical. You can go ahead and get, get out your notes. Jesus gives in uh, Matthew chapter 6 what we call the Lord's Prayer. In Luke, uh, actually Luke, Luke chapter 11, uh, it's given in two places, Luke and in Matthew. We're going to read from Matthew, but first in Luke, his disciples came to him when he was praying. <laughs> when Jesus was praying, wouldn't that have been awesome? His disciples come to him, and he was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the thing is, the disciples knew how to pray. They'd been memorizing prayer since they were kids. So they didn't mean teach us to pray because we don't know. They meant teach us to pray like you're praying because we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to, how to approach God like that. And so in Matthew chapter 6, this is what Jesus tells them. He says, I want you to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And what Jesus is doing there, he's not giving them something to repeat. It's not something that they can, magic words. It's not a formula. What he's giving is he's giving an outline of what prayer should be. And so I'm going to give you each week, I'm going to give you one of these biblical outlines for you to be able to take home and in your own private time, just go through this outline. So oftentimes we, we, we don't really pray because we don't know how. And this is how Jesus said how. Okay, this is the how. So in your notes, the first, the first blank there is number one, uh, we, we are to connect with God relationally. Relationally. And uh, probably another word there could be personally prayer is personal. In other words, we talk to him as a father. He says, our father. We recognize who he is and where he is. He's in heaven. He's above all of this stuff. But we, but we, we don't just approach him as, oh, this great being in heaven. No, he's our father. Another scripture says that we cry Abba, which is like dad, like, like very, very, very common common word for father. And some people don't like that because it says it feels kind of like disrespectful. It is if you're not a son. <laughs> Somebody walk up to me and say, Dad, I don't know you, and you're not, I don't, I don't know your mom, all right? <laughs> you're not. <laughs> right? I mean, Madden and Micah, I know their mom very well. I know their mom. <laughs> She's sitting down right here. Um, but everybody else, I don't know them. Um, but if you're a son, you can, you, you, you can do that. Micah can, can just do that. That's the, that's the first place we have to start off relationally. Start talking to him about your relationship. Start talking to him about what he means to you, about, about who he is to you. Don't approach him like, 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 like he's your boss and, you know, oh, Lord, I need to report for duty today. No, he's your dad. He's your father. Yeah. Secondly, worship his name. He says, hallowed be your name. That hallowed is just a really old school word for holy or, or, or worship. And so I want to give you a few of his na names that he's been given. Obviously, his, his name is 
Jesus. His name is Jehovah. His name is Jehovah Jireh. His name is, anyway, he's, 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 first of all, he's, he's known as our righteousness. Scripture says that his name is our righteousness. He's the one who makes me clean. He's the one who, who makes me holy. He's, he's known as my, as my sanctifier. He's the one doing a work inside of me and making me ready for heaven. He's the one taking me up the mountain. He's my healer. He heals all of my diseases. He's a banner of victory. He's defeated my enemy. Already, already defeated, not going to, already defeated my enemy. He's my shepherd. He speaks to me. The scripture says that my sheep, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You have that promise. He's our, he's our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's my peace. Even, even when life is crazy, in every single storm, he is my peace. He, he is my, not, not, not a feeling, not, not, not a plan, not knowing how it ends, but he is my peace. If I have him, I have peace. He is my provider. He supplies all of my needs. In other words, whatever you need, you have right now because Jesus is your provider. Supplies all of my needs. So worship his name. Just, just come to him and, and, and just, just lay out before him every single name that you know of him and just worship him for how great he is. Number three, pray his plan. <laughs> he says, he says, say this, guys. Say this. Say, your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. That's his plan. That's his agenda. That's what he is trying to do. He's trying to bring heaven to earth. And so when we pray that, that kind of prayer is going to be answered every single time. And it's not just, and it's, it's not just saying those words, your kingdom come, your will be done. No, it's saying, it's, it, 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 it's really, it's looking at every single situation according to the lens of God's plan. So every relationship problem, what really needs to happen is heaven needs to come to earth. Every addiction, what really needs to happen is heaven needs to come to earth. Every, every hang-up, every fear, what needs to be spoken to that. Do you know there's no fear in heaven? There's no fear on the mountain place. There's no fear in the kingdom of love. Every single situation has to bow its knee to the kingdom of heaven, and the king of heaven has to have his say. And I want him to get his say. I want him to get what he wants in my life. So number four, depend on him for everything. He says, give us today our daily bread. Now, some of us, we don't really feel that we need bread. Like we got that covered, right? Domino's has it covered at least, you know. We have, uh, we have, we have cash. We got savings. We got, we, we, we're pretty comfortable. We got vehicles. We got, well, we, we, we don't really need daily bread. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe a, a daily upgrade in the vehicle I'm driving. That'd be nice, you know. But what, what he's saying is the most basic need that you have, give it to him. And what that does is it says, I am actually reliant on you, and I do have a savings account, but honestly, that could go away if the bank were to just tell me I can't get my money out. <laughs> That'd be gone. And uh, if inflation just kind of takes a little skip up, we get downgraded and my cash isn't worth a whole heck of a lot either. What I need is you. You are the one I'm depending on. Not, not, not depending on my savings. I am saving, but I'm depending on you. Number five, get your heart right with God and others. He says, forgive us our sins or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us what we've done wrong against you and we 
also forgive those who have done wrong against us. That's a part of your prayer walk. Just ask God, Lord, is there anything I've done wrong to anybody? Search me and know me if there's any hurtful way in me. Number six, engage in spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about this, I think, on the, on, on the last week of the sermon series. But this is, this, is, this is spiritual warfare. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Spiritual warfare is showing God's power over the enemy and praying God's will over your enemy and praying God's power over your enemy and asking God to take care of your enemy. And we talked about last, a couple weeks ago, that we do have an enemy. So if you're still wondering about that, listen to that podcast. But uh, we do have an enemy, and he is seeking to tempt us and to destroy us, to pull us away from God and keep us in the valley of humiliation. But what we ought to be praying is, God, don't, don't, don't let us get into temptation. Don't let us get into those moments where I'm, where I'm tempted. And even if I do step into those moments, help me to run as quickly as I possibly can. Deliver me from the enemy. Crush the enemy. Rebuke the enemy. Cancel the assignment of the enemy. Undo what the enemy is planning. Confuse the enemy. <laughs> may, may, may their messages to each other be kind of babbly and kind of upside down. May they be fighting themselves. <laughs> Number seven, express faith in God's ability. In God's ability. He says, for yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. There's no, there's no limit. There's no end. There's no, there's no question. There's no dispute. You are in full control. You are sovereign. You are God. That's how we always ought to end our prayers because because whether, whether he does what you're asking him to do or not, he's sovereign, he's God, he's good. He's in charge. And so I put my faith in his capacity. 